Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everybody, and happy Easter to everyone. So now that I've got your attention, I know what you're thinking. Easter was last week. Come on, pastor, get it figured out. Well, actually... According to church history and according to Christian tradition, Easter is celebrated for eight weeks. It is not just a one-day holiday. In other words, Easter didn't end on Monday morning. According to church history and Christian tradition, The Easter season was comprised of every Sunday that began on Resurrection Sunday and it went all the way through Pentecost Sunday. And that was all considered a season of celebration, of acknowledgement. It took 50 days to celebrate Easter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is far too important to be relegated to one Sunday. Wouldn't you agree? So, it's interesting because we often refer to this as the first Sunday after Easter. And that's because we in Western culture have just a couple hundred years of Christian tradition. But in Eastern culture, they have a couple thousand years. And it wasn't the first Sunday after Easter. Today would have been considered the second Sunday of Easter. And next weekend, the third Sunday of Easter. And eight in all. So what we have been conditioned to believe about Easter really misses the mark. According to how important this event is and how important this season is. In fact, I'm going to go one step further. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. If you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, every day is Resurrection Day. It is not just one. And I think it's really important that we understand that, that Jesus Christ is alive and Jesus Christ is filling our lives so that we can now live through him, for him. And so, moment of confession. For many years of my life and even my pastoral ministry, I have ratcheted up and elevated Easter Sunday to be the most important day on the church calendar. And so, I would often think that everything has to be just right at Easter, right? The property has to be just right. The music has to be just right. The message has to be just right. Because we get just one shot. And I would get all wired up about making sure that everything was just right. The problem is that even though everything was right out there, sometimes not everything was right in here. My heart suffered because of it. And I would often find myself disconnected, not present with God during the most important season when our hearts should be most connected 
with God. I would find myself not present with him and so in turn not present and out of touch with my real self and even out of touch with other people. And I'm so thankful that last weekend, what we think is the biggest Sunday of the church calendar, I was probably more present with God and more present with my family than I've ever been before, and I'm so thankful for that. But as a pastor, I'm not alone. Many pastors think about Easter that very same way. So this past week, I attended a pastor's meeting in Dayton, and while I was there, I was talking to a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, and I simply said to him, I said, so... So how was your Easter? And he proceeded to tell me all about their services and all about what happened and about all of their highlights. And after just a few moments, I I interrupted him and I said, I appreciate hearing all of that, but that really wasn't the question. The question was really, how was your Easter? And he smiled and he got it. And we had a conversation about how often we place Easter at a place that it was never intended to be put. Now, what I mean by that is that Easter is much bigger than what we think about. So so this morning, we're starting a brand new seven-week series entitled Body of Evidence. What comes to your mind when you hear that phrase, that term, body of evidence? Perhaps you think of criminal justice. Maybe your mind races to forensic science. But the idea of the term is that it is a collection of evidence that is intended to prove something is true. It is a collection of evidence that is to point to something and say that is very much real. That's very much factual. And that's what we're going to do in this series. So I shared um, through the years, and particularly in the last series that we had, about something new that God had been doing in my life. Something new with my, particularly with my biological family, my mom, who I have had a, a strained relationship with for well over a quarter of a century. But really, there's been very little relationship through the years with my biological family. Um, I would have never called myself an orphan, but I was an emotional orphan growing up is the best way I could kind of describe it. And so my life, I've had one picture of my childhood when I was a year old. It's the only picture I ever had of when I was a kid. Well, back at the end of March, uh, I was invited by my mom to come and visit her, and I spent four days with her uh, for the first time in over a quarter of a century. And while I was there, she said, I have something I want to give you. And she pulled out a a folder, an envelope, and she said, I have been holding uh, something for you that I wanted to give you when I had a chance to see you. And she gave me a folder, an envelope that was filled with childhood pictures. It was actually pretty moving for me emotionally. Um, I had time that day to, to lay out all of those pictures on the bed where I was sleeping. And I just felt like I was walking a road back to me. I was kind of getting to see my life and find some evidence of my childhood that 
in some ways I'd completely forgotten about. So I think there's a few of them you'd appreciate seeing this morning. Uh, this is a picture of that I've never seen in my life until just a few weeks ago. This is when I was born. This is my newborn picture. And I was just a little guy, still in the hospital wearing the band that says Dukeman. Then I got to see some pictures of when I was a a kid in school. The first picture I saw of my kindergarten, I I actually didn't believe it was me. I said, Mom, I don't know who this is, but this isn't me. And here's, here's my kindergarten picture. This is just so fun for me because it was the first time that I'm seeing and actually picking up evidence that I actually had a childhood. Now, now this one that I'm going to show you is really special because this one, I'm going to uh, finally be able to silence anyone, especially in our band, who doesn't believe that I have musical talent. So that's been kind of a, you know, kind of a question, you know, through the years. Can I sing? Can I? Okay, so this picture was taken from a newspaper called the Tri-County News. My mom clipped it out of the newspaper, and this is from my junior high talent show. Here it is. Check that out. <laughs> now, come on. Gilbert Dukeman, vocalist, was accompanied by his rhythm section, Kevin Amos, who played the drums during their performance of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Boom! (laughs) Look at the tassels on that vest. Look at those pants. Man, I was styling, right? (laughs) All right, so here's the deal. I got years of school pictures And I've got all of the little pictures that you give out. You know, the cutouts you give to your friends? I got lots of them. So let me know if you want any of my school pictures. And I've actually got them for almost every year. It's pretty incredible. Here's the deal. Someday, you and I will be reduced to pictures and people's memories. But those pictures and those memories will be evidence that we lived. There'll be evidence that we are alive and that we were alive. So we in this series are going to collect some evidence. We're going to begin to collect some evidence that Jesus Christ didn't just rise from the dead, but Jesus Christ is very much alive and well here on this earth today. And that's the big, the big idea of this entire series. Jesus' death and resurrection is evidenced by his life in us and in the life of his church. Jesus' death and resurrection is evidence that Jesus lives in us and he lives in his church. Now here is the first evidence that we're going to look at this morning. The evidence of dead people who are made alive. The evidence that dead people are made alive. I said something last weekend that I want to repeat this morning. Jesus Christ is the only human being that was ever resurrected. 
That is not to say that Jesus is the only human being that ever experienced life after death. I don't know how many of you heard the story of this past week, the woman who in 1991 was riding in a car that collided with a bus in the United Arab, Arab Emirates. And in 1991, she found herself in a coma, and she had been in a coma for nearly 30 years, the age of 32. Last year, she came to after nearly 30 years in a German hospital. Here's the reality. She was resuscitated. She was declared clinically dead, and she's come back to life. But she has received her old life back, a life that will one day surrender itself again to death. That is not the life that Jesus received. Jesus did not get that kind of life. Jesus got an entirely different life, a new life. In fact, at the resurrection, Jesus actually caused the grip that death had on humanity to release. And at the resurrection, death overcomes death. Romans chapter 6. He died once for all to end sin's power. But now he lives forever in unbroken fellowship with God. Jesus did not necessarily get a new body, but he did get a new life. And his life was substantively different than the life that he had had. He is raised to new life, and that new life is, is different in this sense. It will never again meet death. And so Jesus now offers that life to every dead person that chooses to place their faith and their trust in him. He actually says this, I'm going to let you be part of and partake in the inheritance that is exclusively mine to claim. 1 Peter chapter 1. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is a promise and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. Now don't miss that. The evidence that Jesus is alive is you, and you, and you, and you, and me. We are powerful evidence that Jesus Christ didn't just rise from the dead, but he is very much alive and present here on this earth today. Every time a dead person is transformed, and every time a dead person comes to life in Christ, it is evidence that Jesus is still walking here on the earth today. His physical body is gone from the earth, but his life is very much present. So following resurrection, 
Jesus appears to many different people. He appears to family. He appears to friends. Jesus appears to believers. He appears to skeptics. And he even appears to arch enemies. So 1 Corinthians actually tells us about these appearances. It's, it's interesting because the book, book of 1 Corinthians is considered the earliest letter that was ever written in the New Testament. They believe it was written around A.D. 55, which was just about 25 years following the death and resurrection of Christ. But in this letter, Paul actually tells us about these appearances. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. Christ appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After this, he appeared to more than 500 other followers. Most of them are still alive, but some have died. He also appeared to James and then to all of the apostles. Finally, he appeared to me. Even though I was like someone who was born at the wrong time. It is not inconsequential that Paul makes this statement. He appeared also to me. Because Paul was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Not by a long shot. In fact, Paul was highly religious, but he was vehemently opposed to Christ and the Christian expansion that was taking place. Paul was a Jewish Pharisee, if that tells you anything. He was at odds with Jesus. He was at odds with the Christian movement. Paul actually looked at Christians as simpletons. As those who were just ignorant, they were foolish. But he also saw Christians as an affront to the Jewish religion. And so Paul isn't just frustrated by Christians. Paul actually makes it his life mission to silence anyone who speaks about Jesus. We're first introduced to Paul, whose Jewish name is actually Saul, in the book of Acts. And when we're introduced to, to Saul, here's what happened. One of the first deacons who came and became a leader in the Christian church by the name of Stephen stood before the Sanhedrin and they decided that they were so frustrated by his message about Christ that they decided that his life was only worth being stoned and they stoned him to death. Enter the picture, this Pharisee by the name of Saul. Acts chapter eight, here's what we read, verses one through three. Saul approved of their killing him, Stephen. On that day of his martyrdom, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. 
going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. When you think of Saul, think this. Think we have a picture? Think this. When you think of Paul, think this. Think ISIS. Think radical terrorist. He was not just somebody that didn't like Christians. He was not somebody that just disagreed with their theology. He didn't believe in some other ascribed religion. No, Paul was out to destroy the church and every Christian movement. It was not unlike what happened in Sri Lanka last week on Easter Sunday when terrorists set off bombs in several different places of worship and hotels where guests and foreigners were visiting. Paul was a radical. Paul wanted to end the church. And so as if he's not doing enough damage in Jerusalem, he decides to take it one step further. In Acts chapter 9, we read this about his decision. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners in Jerusalem. Let me just hit the pause button here. The word way is capitalized on purpose. That was the term that they used for Christ's followers because they didn't even want to say the name of Christ. So instead of calling these people Christians, instead of referring to them by the name of Christ, they just simply collectively put them all together and just called them the way. As he nears Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, there is something that is happening here that is so significant, but it's so subtle that we can read this text and we can miss it. What was the reason that Jesus appears as light to Saul on the road to Damascus? It was because he was set out on a hell-bent mission to actually destroy the church, to persecute Christians. But here's what I want you to notice. Notice the question that is asked of Saul. Jesus does not say to him, why are you persecuting my followers? That's not the question. The question he asks is not, why are you persecuting those who claim me as their savior? 
Jesus instead says, why are you persecuting me? If you want evidence that Jesus is alive and that though he physically is not here on this earth any longer, his body remains on this earth, this is proof positive. Because here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if you arrest them, you arrest me. He's saying, if you mistreat them, you mistreat me. If you actually arrest them and torture them, you are arresting and you are torturing me. The single greatest evidence that Jesus is still alive is that his body is still on this earth and his body says that every time something happens to the body, it happens to him. His presence is still very much here whether it is in Damascus or in Jerusalem or whether it's in Sri Lanka or some other Middle Eastern country, wherever there is persecution against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't look now, but there is persecution directly against him. It is, it is a body of evidence. We are a body of evidence that Jesus is still here. And dead people like Paul are still being transformed and made alive through Jesus. Look at what happens, verses 6 through 9. Jesus says, now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. In our last series, Renew, we talked a lot about blindness. Physical blindness and spiritual blindness. Here's another illustration of it. Interestingly for Paul, his spiritual blindness led him to a physical blindness. And, and Paul is actually like a lot of people who are here on the earth today. He might be like people that are here in this auditorium today. His eyes are wide open, but he is actually unable to see and perceive. He is misguided. So Jesus, when he appears, he appears to another man by the name of Thomas, who many of us are more familiar with. Thomas, one of his closest disciples, actually was one who said, listen, unless I see Jesus, unless I actually touch his hands, put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe that he's alive. And Jesus, in his grace, appears to Thomas. But then he says this in John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The world says seeing is believing. Show me and I'll believe. Jesus here reverses the equation. 
Jesus says, believing is seeing. And you believe because you have seen with your physical eyes. But more blessed are those who see me in the spirit realm, who can actually perceive what I am doing, and also because of that believe. They're more blessed. Well, time doesn't permit us this morning, but here's where the narrative goes. Paul actually ends up receiving his eyesight back. He's restored, and he begins to move into a discipled relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, he immediately starts preaching in the synagogues that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's all in. And then this happens. Not everybody who hears about Paul believes his message. Let's go to Acts chapter 9, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Can you imagine? This guy who's radically converted. There are people who are of the Christian faith, Christian leaders, that actually aren't sure. Now, before we cast aspersions at them, let's put ourselves in their shoes for just a moment. Just imagine that somebody walks into Grace Crossing Church who has been part of ISIS. In fact, perhaps a leader and an influencer of ISIS radicalism. How many of us here would be just a tad bit skeptical? How many of us here would be a lot bit skeptical? How about if this person who walked in said, I want to join your church I want to become part of the body. In fact, I'd love to become part of ministry leadership in the church. How many of us would continue to hold that person at arm's length, unsure if they're just playing us, if we're just part of the next target? That's what happens to Paul. Paul is radically converted. And yet not everybody believed his story. And yet his story was proof positive. It was evidence that Jesus Christ did not just walk this earth for 40 days, but Jesus was continuing to walk this earth and continuing to appear, and he's continuing to bring dead people to life through his presence. And it happens today. And I want you to hear one story this morning of somebody here at Grace Crossing Church who this is very much their story. He's a person that many of you are now familiar with because he's been a part of our church for a number of years. This year he's moved into a lay ministry role here at Grace Crossing Church. And I want you to hear his story because many of you are unfamiliar with it. I want you to welcome Torres James as he comes this morning and joins me here at the front. Brother, thank you. I, I, I remember our first connection. 
first time we met and got to know one another. And uh, I don't know if it was in that first meeting that you shared your story with me, but somewhere along we sat together and you actually filled me in on your transformation, how you came to faith in Christ. And it was, it was remarkable. And, and I, I can remember sharing with some people about your role in my life and how God was using you. And you were one of my go-to people for prayer. And I remember having some people question or caution, right, because of your story. And I want people to hear your story today. I want people to know about your transformation because you are a body of evidence that the resurrected Christ is still appearing. Share with us. Praise God. First, today, first I want to say, uh, in the name of Jesus, I come to you all. Um, my story, uh, like Gil says, a lot of different parts of it that are similar to Paul. Um, condensed version is this. I mean, I, I grew up in southeast D.C. You know, it was a time frame where, you know, crack hit the street. So you can just picture it, you know, go back. And you could just look around you now. Opioids and stuff like that will just go back you know, 30 years or so. I remember when crack hit the streets in D.C. Why this is important is because this started to formulate, you know, how I viewed a lot of things, my worldview. Um, much like Gil, my life as far as being an orphan, I felt abandoned. My mom, I didn't really know her. I didn't grow up with her. Um, I grew up with my aunt and my uncle. And so it was this real sense of abandonment. I don't know my real father still to this day. So a lot of things as far as my earlier start, Crack hits the streets. I'm growing up in D.C., and there is a time where folks are basically saying, hey, look here, black males are an endangered species. For me, just being summarized that way as if I'm an animal, an endangered species, mm. you know, those types of things really formed the way that I not only viewed my world, but it really started to paint things as white and black. Um, I had to go to Florida for a while, so this is part of the transition. I, I had to move to Florida for a couple of years, and it, everything switched from being black, where I was living in D.C., to white. Every, everything was white, uh, the school that I was going to. And that culture shock for me really started to paint a lot of things. By the time I got to high school and graduated, my viewpoint as far as looking at everything was really race. I didn't view anything in, in terms of God or anything. I just viewed everything as race. Um, I was able to graduate, got to the United States Air Force Academy. I went to the prep school first. Then I went, to, went through the academy. And for those years, I really struggled, struggled very hard with race. Um, the people who were my leaders, of course, were white folks. A lot of them with gray hair or white hair. I had a lot of problems with that as far as not just the authority over me, but the fact that I was looking at these people as what they had done or looking at them in the sense of what happened, you know, 60 or so years ago, back in the 60s or something like that. So everything that I saw, even while I was moving through that institution, was jaded. Uh, at that time, I joined. I actually, co I actually converted into Islam um, while I was at the academy, and because of that, a lot of persecution, a lot of things happened. Um, I ended up resigning from the Air Force Academy because of pretty much my bad attitude. Um, and just fast forwarding a little bit, when I left, I went back. I went to Florida, and while I was, I was kind of, kind of like wavering around. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. But while I was there, I actually joined the Nation of Islam. So I went from Islam proper or Islam from the East to Nation of Islam here in America. And you can go look it up for yourself. You see what it stands for and so forth. I want to be clear. I don't speak on Islam or the Nation of Islam. I speak from what my heart was in those institutions or in those organizations. 
my personal heart was I hated white folks. I, I, as far as I was concerned, we were at war. I didn't like you. As a matter of fact, I didn't, I didn't care whether you were dead or not. That was my personal view. Like I said, I don't speak for the organizations and institutions. What happened with me is that here I am, I'm without, you know, what I thought I was going to do as far as Air Force, uh, don't have a job. Everything that I'm doing is pretty much falling apart, literally. I put my fingers to work, and it's falling apart. I'm working multiple jobs, and everything is falling apart. And I remember crying out one night. Literally, I was in tears, crying, because I was devoted to this, this God I, I heard of, Allah. And I just remember on my knees crying. I'm doing everything that you tell me to do. I know that you're there. I don't know if you Allah. You, you know me. I, I know you hear me. Tell me what it is that I'm missing, because everything that I'm doing down here, I'm messing it up. And nothing is coming to pass like I thought. Tell me what I'm missing. I woke up the next morning, sitting up in my bed, saying, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I said it. I remember saying it three times. The first two times, I was kind of waking up in sleep. The third time, I was saying it, I was sitting up straight in my bed. At the time, I don't know if my wife recalls, but she was sitting, she was sitting beside me. And I looked over and I said, did you hear that? She said, yes. From that point... I just went, uh, there's a church here called Greater Galilee Baptist Church over in Riverside, I believe. We found that church, didn't know anything about it, just the first church that I went to, and I went and told that pastor, I said, look here, I'm here because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Everything else that you got to talk about, I don't know anything about. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's why I'm here. <laughs> so when I told him that straightway, he, was, he just brought me in. I started teaching, preaching, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that's all I knew. Um, and from there, we moved from here and we went to Utah. And to wrap everything up, going to Utah was that experience where the Lord pretty much kind of removed me. And he basically taught me about his Holy Spirit and he taught me about himself in a lot of different ways that I didn't know. Um, I would definitely say this of overall. I didn't know until years later that what I woke up saying wasn't only me saying it, because I didn't believe that. Matter of fact, I was vehemently opposed to Jesus as the Son of God, especially in Islam or the nation of Islam. But it wasn't until years later that I realized that what I was speaking was the verse that is actually, is, I think it's John chapter 20, 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I didn't know that those words, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I didn't know that context until years later. But I'm just here to say, every place that I've been since then, it's pretty much been like this. Me as a person who pretty much, I hated white folks. I, I, I don't say that to be, be nasty towards anybody, but it's a fact. But every place I've been has been like this. This God has moved me into places where what he has done, one of the biggest things I asked God, I said, I want to slay giants. I want to go after the biggest thing. And I, I told him, I said, I want to, I want to see racism dead. I, I, want to, I want to slay that like that Goliath. That's my Goliath. I want to slay racism. And he revealed to me, this is how you do it. See, I'm going to, I'm going to slay racism in you. The giant I'm going to kill in you. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to move you through and you're going to have to confront what it is that you feel and what you thought you see, all of that. You're going to confront that, and you're going to see how it's going to be killed because I'm going to use you to do it. 
So sure. that's my story. And isn't that powerful? Brother, thank you. Stay up here with me. I'm going to ask you uh, to stand, please, because Taurus is not the only body of evidence. You are also part of the body of evidence that the resurrected Jesus is still alive here on this earth. He's still appearing. People's eyes are still being opened spiritually. And he wants to open our hearts, the eyes of our understanding to him. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And Taurus, would you just pray and would you just pray a blessing uh, on us today that we would continue to be the body of Christ as he desires. Father, in the name of Jesus, first and foremost, we acknowledge you. We know that you are the God of all. You're the, cre- you're the creator, the sustainer of all things that we see and we cannot see. Father, we believe that. We know that you are here now through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, you have given us your word, and your word has been preached here today. We thank you, Lord God, for the embodiment of your word, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who has transformed all of us, changed these situations that we are in right now. Lord God, I pray for those who are here, this body of evidence, all of these, your people, right here, right now. Father, through your power, I pray that their ears are open, that they will hear you always, wherever they walk, wherever they go. I pray that their eyes open, that they see you, Lord God, through every situation that they're in. I pray that you keep us close, that you will build us even closer as a body, the body of Christ. I pray that right now, in the name of Jesus, that all things that we came in here with, you would do away with them, Lord God, in your way. We pray that you would move us in your way, through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ's name, I thank you so much. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.